Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. And really, um, in my life, are you sharing Christ regularly in your life? And uh, and so, uh, if you'll turn to Matthew chapter five, uh, I want to read a portion of scripture here. I've, I've read it the last couple of weeks, and then we're gonna get right into this because. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit, how do I share Jesus? How do I share the gospel with others? And we're going to talk about that. Verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5, the Bible says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, some translations say savor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing to be trampled out and trampled underfoot by men. But ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine, so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How many know that's a great passage of Scripture? And the question is, am I sharing Jesus regularly in my life? Here, Jesus tells us that, that there, we are, there are two things that he tells us that we are. He says we are salt and we are light. As Christians, we are the salt of the earth and we are a light to the world. Now, that's a big challenge for a believer. To be salt and light, we must be sharing and demonstrating our faith to a lost world. That's how we become salt and light. We must be influencers and engaging a world that needs Jesus. God gives us influence to be an influencer, and so that's profound. I mean, God gives us the ability to influence. He gives us influence so that we can be an influencer. He puts salt and light in us so that we can influence those whom we're around because we need to be regularly sharing Jesus with the world. And you say, well, uh, you know, is, is that important? It sure is because I read an article today that the Virginia House, State House of Representatives today, voted today that, uh, that transgenders can now seek new birth certificates stating that they're the other sex other than what they were born. And all they have to have is a letter from a doctor that says they've gone through the transitional period of transitioning from a man to a woman. Now, it used to be they had to have the operation. Now, if you say that you're a girl and you're a boy, or if you say you're a boy and you're really a girl... All you have to do now is to present a doctor's certificate, and you can even have your birth certificate changed. So how many know we need to begin to engage our world and to be salt and light to our world? We, we, we have to engage. We have to share Jesus in order to influence and have an impact on our world. Now, God in Scripture gives us an example in Scripture of all kinds of influencers, and uh, and, and, and when we share Jesus regularly, and uh, uh, it doesn't say that we 
uh, are like salt. It says we are salt and light. It doesn't say we're like it. It says we are. But in the verse 13, it says, but if it loses its savor, our flavor, and what that is is its ability to influence. If salt loses its savor, its flavor, its ability to influence, if we lose our ability to influence, then we, then it, we, we become a, not worth anything, good for nothing, as it says, to be thrown out and trampled by foot among men. We lose all influence. So we have to become salt and light. And how do we become salt and light? Well, let's just take that. First of all, Jesus said, you are salt. And he says, uh, now he's not talking about you are salt as in the sense of the content that your body is made up of salt. In other words, he's not saying that you are a body of salt. And, of course, we do have salt in us. matter of fact, uh, I looked it up today. We have 0.04% were made up of salt. If you weigh 125 pounds, you have 45 teaspoons of salt in you. (laughs) That's what you're made up of. If you weigh 200 pounds or plus, hey, hey, (laughs) you have 70 plus teaspoons of salt in you. So you're saltier than someone else. But he's not talking about salt as in the makeup of the contents of the compounds of our body. He's talking about salt as an influence, its ability to change and impact that which it touches and that which it engages. Salt has the ability to immediately touch and transform things that it touches. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt is mentioned more times in Scripture than we really think. And uh, a lot of times there are, have you ever taken a word in Scripture or taken a word and you begin to look in the Scripture and you realize, wow, that's in there all, all, a lot of places. I just never knew it was there. But salt is mentioned several times in Scripture, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to read every one. I'm just going to share a couple with you. But uh, uh, in, in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible tells us that the children of Israel, every time they made a sacrifice, they had to season the offering with salt. They had to put salt on the offering. Matter of fact, in Leviticus, the Lord called it, it said, you shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your offering, your grain offering, and with every other offering you shall make shall be offered with salt. In other words, every offering that they made in the Old Testament that they seasoned and salted the sacrifice. Now, I'll just tell you, I've read a lot of things on the temple and the sacrifice, but I didn't know that they seasoned the offering with salt. I just have to tell you, I've been pastoring a long time, and I've never read that. I may have read it, I just never got it. And in Numbers chapter 18 and verse 19, it says, All the offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and daughters with which you have Uh, as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants. In other words, what he's saying is when you make offerings, the covenant that is being made when you offer salt on your offering is the symbolism of the covenant offering that I am making with you. It says God, God is saying I'm making a salt covenant with you. And when you salt the offering, 
It's, it's binding a covenant that I have with you. And here's what the covenant is. The covenant of the Old Testament of salt, because salt is a preservative, salt is a symbolic of eternity. In other words, it's the symbolic picture of God uh, continuing that which lasts. It's a covenant of salt. In other words, I'm going to preserve you. That's what God is saying. In the Old Testament, God says, when you salt the offering, when you put salt on the offering, you offer it to me. It's the symbolism of the covenant offering that I have to you that I will preserve your life and keep your life as long as you are in relationship with me. Ain't that good? Now, how many of you had a salt covenant at your wedding? Anybody do a salt covenant in your wedding? None of y'all? Oh, one. Yeah, you guys did, didn't you? Y'all had a salt covenant. It's a picture of eternal preservation. It's a picture that God will preserve that what he puts his hand on. Salt is the symbolism of preservation. And we talk about, listen, we talk a lot about the perseverance of the saints. When I got saved and I went to an old holiness church for the first part of my Christian life, they talked about the perseverance of the saints. Persevering of the saints. But I want to remind you tonight that we need to bring back the word, the preservation of the saints. Because God has preserved us. Matter of fact, three times in the Old Testament, twice in the Psalms and once in Proverbs, he says, I preserve the soul of my saints. What does that mean? God preserves, in other words, those who are born again and belong to him, he preserves our soul. How many are thankful you're preserved tonight? That God's preserved you and kept you and protected you. And we rejoice because, because I rejoice because it's not my sticking power to living for God, but it's his staying power, the symbolism of eternity that is on my life. How many are thankful for the staying power of God that we are preserved? And so salt is a preservative. And it says, ye are the salt of the earth. We are preserving our world from ending. Did you all know that? That we as Christians, as the salt of the earth, we are preserving our world from ending. We are preserving our society from decaying. If all the Christians left this world, then the salt of the earth would leave. And what would happen is this world would begin decaying at a rapid rate. I believe as Christians we are salt and we preserve and we hold back and we preserve the decaying of society. In other words, as a Christian, that our Christian faith and morality and principles in society are uh, uh, are keeping society from dying. That as salt in the world, our salt on the earth, we are preserving, holding back the decay of a world that is full of corruption and sin and death. The Bible said that when man sinned, the law of sin and death entered into his life. He began to decay. He began to die. But when we got saved through the blood of Jesus, Jesus' blood, we are the salt of the earth. We are preserving society. That's what God has allowed us to do. Are you all with me? In other words, when we took prayer out of the school, look what happened. 
when we took the Ten Commandments off the walls of our courthouse and off the buildings of our school, began to look what happened. Are y'all with me? When we took prayer out of school, all of a sudden men began to live by self-sufficiency. When there was prayer in school, we were teaching children and people that there was a higher power that had the ability to change us, that who we submitted our lives to. Now we live in a world that's me, me, me. I'm self-sufficient. I'll do it myself, my own way, when I want it, how I want it, and where I want it. It's a selfish generation. Why? Because when we took prayer out of school, Society began to decay, and self-sufficiency moved in, and our dependency on God moved out. When we took the Ten Commandments off the wall, all of a sudden, there there was no value in that. All of a sudden, when we stopped teaching that, all of a sudden, lawlessness began to run loose in the lives of people. I wish I had some spirit-filled people that... Lawlessness, rebellion, witchcraft, out of order, no value for life. Y'all hearing me? I mean, before all that, how many school shootings did we have in 1980? I don't know if there were any. If there were, it was very few. There wasn't, I don't remember any in 1970. I was born in 67, so I don't remember the 60s. I mean, there was a university shooting at like Kent State or something like that. I think something happened. And I think in the 50s, like at the University of Texas, somebody shot somebody from a bell tower at the university. But those were very isolated. Now we have, now we have people daily, weekly, monthly going in, and, and they've lost value for the preciousness of what life is. And so I say that. You say, well, why do you say that? And he, here's the thing. You know, we... We love, we love to see prayer in school, and we love to see the Ten Commandments in the courthouse. I mean, we love that. But, but, you know, but listen, we, we get down about that. Why are we down? There's no need to be down because we can still put Christians inside the school, right? We can still teach children to be Christians in school. We can still have Christians on the school board. We can still have Christians in areas of government and have Christians in the courthouse and the courtrooms and the boardrooms and the school boards and city councils and state legislators. And Christians can still be business owners. Is that not right? We get down about prayer being out of school and the Ten Commandments. Well, listen, that may be gone, but now we can be salt and light in the middle of a world and have influence and have impact on that. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. And really, we need to stop complaining about it. We need to, because, listen, what, what we, we need to begin to raise up a generation of young people that know how to share their faith. <laughs> I said we need a generation of young people who know how to share Jesus regularly. That's how they be salt and lights. Not because they pray in the morning when school starts, but because they have Jesus in their heart and they are salt and light to a decaying, dying world. And God will raise up a generation of salt shakers. (laughs) I, I just wanted to say that. Come on, right? Every house needs a salt shaker. At least one. And, and to rescue this generation. 
Now, here, here's our problem. We're looking to lawmakers to legislate morality for us. Can I tell you that's not going to happen? Look what's going on in Washington today. Nothing's being done. Nothing is getting done. So what makes you think we wait on legislators to legislate morality? No, we have to raise people up to share Jesus and be salt and light in a world that is decayed. We don't need a law for that. The only law we need is the law of Jesus Christ that the same same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. And if we learn to share Jesus regularly in our lives, we will be salt and light to a decaying world. I don't need a, I don't need a sign on the wall that tells me I'm a Christian. I need to wake up every day knowing I am a Christian. That's what our young people need. Listen, a law can be obeyed even with an unsubmitted heart. <laughs> Y'all, you hear what I'm saying? And you know what that's called? It's called legalism. Because when I first got, well, no, I'm not going to go there. Legalism says you have to look outwardly regardless of what you are inwardly. <laughs> as long as you look like you're supposed to look, then it doesn't matter what you are on the inside. Because the goal is to get you conformed, not transformed. <laughs> but Jesus wants to transform us on the inside so that the outside automatically changes. How many are with me? If he doesn't change the inside, you'll never change on the outside. And so the law, law, we can submit to a law. Listen, they can put up gun law. They can ban every gun they want. They can put laws about everything. It doesn't matter. Because the letter of the law, listen, the law is not what makes me a Christian. We want to just change man's actions, but change a man's heart. And we try to change their actions instead of trying to change their heart. But if we're salt and light, if we're salt and light, we stop the decay and the corruption in a man's life and a man's heart because salt will preserve that which is decaying and that which is dying. Listen, salt can change the, the nature of everything that it touches. In other words, we can preserve our society because we are salt. Now listen, salt preserves, right? Salt's a preservative. Now, what does Paul say? I love this. I love this. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says that as children of God, when we were first born again, we lived off the milk of the Word, right? It was the milk. But then we got to a point when we needed to mature and we began to live off the what? The meat of the word. Right? And so maturity is living off the meat of the word. Now if you are salt and you are light, what does salt do to meat? It preserves it. If meat doesn't have salt to preserve it, 
Now, we have refrigeration today. Thank you, Jesus, for freezers and refrigerators. Right? But then, back then, back in the day, back in the day, I don't know if anybody's in here old enough to where they didn't have refrigerators. I'm not going to ask because we don't want to embarrass you. But they would preserve most things through salt. Right? I had people I pastored in Arkansas that still had what they called uh, cold wells. Well, they dug a well or dug a well in the backyard and put aluminum around it and put an ice block in there, and they would, they would, that's how they would keep their, their stuff. I'm like, buy a refrigerator. Well, we just done it for years. I don't know. I'm like, hey, whatever, blew my mind. I'm like, hey. But they were still doing that. But here, here's, here's my point. Salt preserves meat. So when you get the meat of the Word of God, and it gets in your spirit. I said, when you get the meat, when God gives you a revelation, when God speaks to you, when God gives you a word, when God gives you a promise, when God gives you hope, and that thing becomes meat in your life, if you are salt and light, you will take that word and preserve it in your heart. It won't go rotten. It won't go stale. It won't die. But it will live as long as you are salt. Oh, woo. I just want to do a happy dance on that because that's good. That is good. That is good. Because we are salt. Salt preserves. Two, salt makes things palatable. Woo. And we as Christians are to make God palatable, to make God taste good. Now, some Christians, as the scripture tells us, I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just saying the scripture says that some Christians are good for nothing. But they're like bad salt that's been thrown out to be trampled on by men. And they put, and listen, you know what they did in the Roman days with salt that was contaminated or bad? They would throw it on the streets to be trampled on by men. They threw the salt out there to destroy the grass, to kill the grass and the vegetation so that they could have pathways. That's how they made pathways in Jesus' day. They would throw bad salt out onto the pathways to be trampled on by men. And the truth is, if bad Christians are not salty and are, are not true salt, that's what happens. They are trampled on by men. They're good for nothing. They're a bad witness. They don't, they don't make a difference in people's lives. But the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that God is good. And, and we're to be palatable to people. We're to make God palatable to people. We are to be good salt and salt of the earth. In other words, uh, it's, it's, how many of y'all, I don't have that good of taste buds, but how many of y'all can taste food and know that salt's in it? I mean, any food. Now, I love salt so much, I can only tell when there's really no salt in it. Because I'm like, because I love salt. I love salt. I really love salt. And so some of you, but how many of y'all can taste when salt is in something? Right? You can taste it. I can't. I, my, my wife will make food and, and she'll, you know, put butter in it and all those good things. And I'll put salt on it. She's like, why are you putting salt on it? It's like it's already seasoned. It's already 
But I'm like, you know, I, I got to have that salt. I got to taste it. Right? I mean, it's just, I mean, I just like salt on my stuff. Now, here's the thing. When you know salt's not in something, you distinctively know that it's not there. Right? As a Christian, if we're the salt of the world, we are to be distinctive as that folks should know where we are and what we are. In other words, people should know we are salt because they see us acting as salt. And they shall know when uh, salt is not around. Is that because as a believer, we are to be distinctive in who we are? And let me give you an example in the Bible. The Bible says in Hebrews, it says that Enoch walked with the Lord. And he walked with God and he was not, the Bible said. But then the Bible gives us an interesting clue about Enoch. It says when he was gone, I'm paraphrasing, when he was gone, they searched for him and could not find him. Why'd they search for him? Because he was the salt of the world and the light when he was in the world. And when he was gone, there was a notice that he was gone. And because he was gone, they searched for him. Why? Because he was salt. He made a difference in the lives of people. If you make a difference in the lives of people and become salt, when you're gone, people will notice that you're not there. Right? Well, let me ask you. Can most churches disappear and most people not know they're gone? The question is, if our church left this community, would they miss us? Do you think they would ask, where where are they at? Would they ask that question? There's a distinctiveness about salt. Salt is distinctive in its own right. Salt, and it says when it loses its savor or when it loses its influence. Now, this is an interesting word in the Greek. Because it it means this. It's one Greek word, really. It's one Greek word. Three words here in English. Lost its savor, or lost its flavor. 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 It's one Greek word. It's really a compound Greek word. But it's mentioned four times in Scripture, and it always translates the same word. Though there's different English words. In another passage, there's a different English word that's used, but it's the same Greek word. We get the word. It means in English this. When salt loses its savor, when it loses its influence, the Greek word that is used is the Greek word moronic. It means where we get the word moron. (laughs) And it really translates to foolish. In other words, when salt loses its savor or when it loses its flavor, what happens is it becomes foolish. It loses its savor because it's become foolish. It has no influence anymore. It's lost its influence. It's used in Romans chapter 1, 21 and 22. It says, because although they knew not God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. In other words, they became foolish. How does salt lose its savor, its ability to preserve, its ability to to, to, uh, 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 make the gospel palatable, the way it loses its ability to flavor, the ability to to, to transform is, is the fact that they become foolish, it become foolish in our actions. 
In other words, when we become foolish in what we do, then all of a sudden salt loses its impact. And, and so how does salt lose how does salt lose its saltiness? How does it become bad? This is interesting because I, I, for a while, I worked as a foundation repair contractor. I'd go out and estimate sinking and settling houses. And one of the first things I would do when I get to a house that was settling or a house that was cracked or falling is that what I was taught was the first thing I did was go to the basement and assess the basement. And I looked for two things. I looked for water, like everybody would, right? And I look for silt and sediment. You know what silt and sediment is? It's salt. It tells me, it tells me that when salt gets into a house or sediment gets into a house, there's a breach in the house somewhere. And so that tells me the house needs to be repaired. But it also, what I learned was about salt is, is that there is good and bad salt. The salt that we have on our table, good salt, comes, it's mine, just like anything else, but good salt comes from being harvested from uh, being next to or growing next to a rock. And salt that is found with the mixture of soil is, is unpurified salt. But salt that gathers together in rocky places is purified salt. And you say, well, why is that? Because rocky places where salt is, is purified by the washing of the running of water. Now, y'all getting it in a second here. Salt becomes good when it's close to the rock. How many know you get close to Jesus? You get close to the rock, you can remain pure. But not only that, the Bible tells us in Ephesians that we are made whole by the washing of the water of the Word of God. Woo! The rock in the water, baby. The rock in the water. That's what purifies the salt because the water flows and it purifies the salt. What does it do? It runs away all of the earth, all of the soil that could get in and contaminate the salts. Whew. Got me going. Come on. First Corinthians said what? Moses in the desert drank from the rock. Right? Whoo. <laughs> you got to stay close to the rock and be washed by the word. That's what purifies salt. Now, here's my last thing about salt. Salt is also a miracle. You say, well, how is salt a miracle? Well, what is the chemical compound of salt? Now, some of you scientists know. I had to know because I had to look it up. I'm not smart like some of y'all. But salt is made of sodium and chloride, right? It's salt, it's, but there's a, a miracle that takes place in the production of salt. If you take hydrochloric acid by itself without sodium, and I take that hydrochloric acid and I pour it on Debbie's hand, what do you think would happen to her hand? It's gone, baby. It eats it up just like that. If I took hydrochloric acid and began to drink it, I'm dead in minutes. Is that not right? I mean, I'm dead like that. But if I take sodium and mix it with chloride, all of a sudden a miracle takes place. Now 
it is established and it is useful and a substance that can be used. That's a miracle. How do you think something that's deadly by itself, mix it with something else, and all of a sudden that, that sodium neutralizes everything in that hydrochloric acid or in that chloride, and they mix it together, and now it becomes useful for everyone. Now here's the miracle. Before you came to Jesus, you were like hydrochloric acid. You were dying and destroying everything you touched. <laughs> but then Jesus and his blood came and mixed in your life and mixed your dead chloride body and flesh that was dying and decaying and you mixed it with the sodium of the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of the cross. And now that mixture produced a miracle in you. What is the miracle? You are the salt of the earth. Praise God. How many are thankful that the blood of Jesus stopped the decay of sin in your life? It stopped sin and death, and now you have victory and life in your body, and you live forever, and you're preserved by God. Woo, that's good news. Hey. Isn't that good? Woo. Salt's a miracle. There's the miracle of salt. Now, I've got this whole thing on light. I'm not going to go to it. I'm going to share it with you later. Because I want to get to where I want to go. Because I only got 10 minutes. 15 minutes. 10 minutes. And then we're going to pray. Now I'll give you these properties of light. He says you are the light of the world. Okay. And so I'm not going to get through all that. But, but light. Let me just give you light dispels darkness. Thank God light dispels darkness. Light helps. Uh, light uh, dispels darkness. I can't even read my own writing. Light helps recover those things which are lost, right? Luke chapter 15, the woman lost the coin. What'd she do? She lit a light and set it on the lampstand to look for that which was lost. <laughs> Woo! How I many know the light, that we are the light of the world? We are to help look for those things that have been lost in people's lives. By the light of the world, God uses us to shine a light on people's life to help recover those things which have been lost. But here's what I want to get to. This is where I want to go and kind of close tonight. Light shows us a way. How many know light shows you a way? All you have to do is turn the light on and darkness flees. Right? I mean immediately. It doesn't do like casually. When light shows up, darkness goes. What does that tell us? It tells us that light does not struggle with darkness. Jesus, has not, does, Jesus is not struggling with the devil. His light dispels him immediately. Immediately he's dispelled. But we as light are to show the way to others. We are to share Jesus. We are to be a light to the world to show others to Jesus. And we are to share Jesus regularly. Now how do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give it to you really quickly. Prayer meeting this week, I shared this story. In 1400, there was a sailor and a ship owner. His name was Stephen. I'm not going to tell you his last name because I give away my story. But his name was Stephen. And he was a ship owner, a cargo ship. And he sailed, he was from Italy, so he sailed down to Algeria. When he arrived in Algeria, 
he unloaded his ship, he got off the dock, and when he was on the dock, he saw there was a missionary that was there preaching to the Muslims that were there in Algeria. And so he was preaching to the Muslims. He went on his way. The next day, him and his crew got up, and they decided they were going to take a stroll on the beach. And so they took a walk on the beach, and as they were strolling, they looked down and saw the same missionary that was on the dock that was preaching to the Muslims had been laying on the beach. He had been beaten by them and almost beaten to death through the edge of his life. He was laying on the beach. So this ship owner, Stephen, he picked this, he picked this missionary up, He said, well, we'll just put him on our ship, and we'll take him with us. And so they loaded their ship. They headed back towards Italy. As they were on their ship, headed towards Italy, they got into a storm. And this storm blew them off course. And now they were off course, and they're headed to Spain. All right? They're on this ship. They're headed to Spain. They have this missionary that is on the ship. And uh, as they're headed that way, and as they're moving toward um, Spain, uh, Spain, they're headed toward the island of Majorca. Now, Majorca, Spain, is on the uh, edge or southern tip of Spain, where it is, and just happened this missionary was from Majorca. So, so they, they take this missionary, they're, they're heading there to Majorca, and they're going to drop him off, but as they are on the ship and in the storm, he gets sick, and the missionary is about ready to succumb to his death from the trip and from being beaten. And so as he's getting close to death, him and Stephen and his crew are sitting there, and all of a sudden life, for a moment, comes back into this missionary. And he raises his hand, and he points his finger over the bow of the ship, and he tells them that there is a land and a people that is beyond this land and beyond this place. And he says this, he says, I say that, thus saith the Lord. And so that ship owner, Stephen, he is just absolutely floored by what that missionary said. He expires and he dies. Well, Stephen, over the years, began to tell his grandchildren that story. He told them the story of the missionary that died, pointed his finger, and said, there's a land and people that is beyond this land that we have not yet seen. He thought he was talking about heaven. For all those years. And then one day he's sharing it with his grandchildren. And he's sharing it. And now he's telling the story to his grandchildren. It was passed down. And he happened to have a grandson that something got inside of him. That he said that if that man said there's a land and a people that is beyond that land. I want to find who they are. And he grew up and he said God has called me to be a light. And to go out and to find this land that this missionary told my grandpa. And guess what his name was? Christopher Columbus. Why? Listen, how do we show the light of the way? We do it in three ways. One, we do it because we share God's story. We share the story of God. We share God's story. Every Jewish family had to share three stories. They had to share the story of the Passover night. They had to share the crossing of the Jordan and they had to share the giving of the Ten Commandments. They would tell that story to every Jewish child. Every father would tell that story. They would tell God's story. They would tell of the death angel that would come. They would tell the crossing of the Jordan. And the Bible says that when they would cross the Jordan, there was the phrase, and when your children ask what this is, tell them this. 
When you tell them the story of the Passover, when your children ask, tell them this. So what are they doing? They're telling God's story. They're telling the God story about what God has done for them. Well, what did God do for them? God allowed them to be rescued out of Egypt and brought to another land. What are they telling their children? That God rescues. They told them of crossing into the Jordan. What are they telling? God can make a way. God always makes a path. When they tell them the story of the Ten Commandments and they remind them, they remind your children, what are we saying? That God is a God of order. That God is a God of law and righteousness and he blesses those that keeps his commandments. What are they doing? They're telling God's stories. How do you share Jesus? You share Jesus by telling others what God has done in your life. Y'all with me? You share what God has done. You share the miracles he's done. You share what he has done for you. You share where God has made ways, where there wasn't no way, where God has made paths for you, and that you encourage your children with it. You share Jesus. That's how we share Jesus is to share stories about God. Secondly, we share Jesus by telling our story. How many of y'all know you have a story? You tell your story. You tell how you got saved, how you came to Christ. You tell your story of what it was when you were lost and what it was like. That's how you share regularly with Jesus with everybody. You tell God's story, and then you tell your story. You know what the story I love the most? I love the story of the uh, disciples. You remember when Peter and John went up to the temple, and the man that was lame was laying there, and they healed him? Remember that? And then after they healed him, they got arrested for it? Y'all remember that? And they brought them in and they beat them. Remember, they kept they beat them. And then what they say to them in chapter 4 of Acts, they said, Don't you go tell nobody about any more about Jesus. And what did the disciples say? They said they felt worthy to be beaten for the cause of Christ. And so they said to the jailers, they said, We can't but help ourselves but to share Jesus. So they run back to a prayer meeting and they tell them the story of what happened. And the Bible says that the people began to fall on their face and begin to pray. And the Bible says that the house was shaken, the earth was shaken, and the Spirit of God fell on the people and the Spirit of God began to fill them with the Spirit all because of a story. All because of a story. Now, here's the best part. I, I'm almost done. I am. Stay with me. Stay with me. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. <laughs> this is my favorite part. When I was a young Christian, <laughs> there on Sunday nights, I would go home, and I was so hungry for the Word, I turned the TV on. And at that time, we had four channels, ABC, NBC, CBS, and uh, UHF, or public station, whatever. Right? Y'all know those days, right? Now we got four th- million stations. And we're like, nothing's on. <laughs> Y'all forgot what it was like to have just three channels. <laughs> and all the millennials are going, what, what are they talking about? What, what, what <laughs> and, I, and I'm using a remote. We didn't even have a remote. <laughs> you had to turn your own channel in Jesus' name. <laughs> Man, we're spoiled. And, and so on Sunday nights, I would watch three programs. Jerry Falwell would come on at 7 o'clock, and I'd watch Jerry 
Jerry Falwell and the Hour of Power, whatever he called his program, right? And so Jerry Falwell would speak. And then at 8 o'clock, Jimmy Swagger would come on, and they would show a crusade from Jimmy Swagger, and he would be on at 8 o'clock, and I would watch Jimmy Swagger. And when I first started preaching, I wanted a a Swedish knit suit with a vest like Jimmy Swagger had. And I wanted to be able to hold my glasses like Jimmy Swagger held his glasses. I didn't do that because, I, I, first of all, I didn't have the money to get a Swedish knit suit, but I, that's what I wanted to do. That's how I would practice. I used to practice preaching. I know, it's crazy. So, and then at night, late at night, at 11 o'clock, would come on one of my favorite preachers. His name was Dr. E.V. Hill. He pastored Mount Zion Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California. He was a black brother, and he would come on. And I remember he was telling this story, and he was telling it in a way that a brother would tell it, or the way that a brother would kind of say it, you know. And he began to say that this is what, what, ha- what would happen. He began to say that what they had, he'd say, was a condition That every believer has. And in this condition keeps us from obeying you because we must first obey God. (laughs) And he'd say, "It's it's a condition called I can't help Myself. That's how he'd say it. You had to hear him. He was the best black preacher. You know, he, he said it was a condition that was, I can't help myself. So in other words, he said the apostles looked at those that beat him and the St. Hendren and all them that were in robes and religious and all. He said the reason we can't stop preaching Jesus is we can't help ourselves. And the reason we can't help ourselves is because we were there when he turned the water into wine. We were there when Lazarus came out of the grave. We were there when he fed the 5,000. And we can't help ourselves because we were there when he did the miracles in the lives of people. And I think that as a church, we need some, we can't help ourselves because a little bit more in the church. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Because we're salt and light. And we need to share Jesus. And we need to say, I'm sorry, I've got to tell you about what Jesus has done for me. I can't help myself because I was there when he saved me. I was there when he saved my husband, when he touched my life, when he healed me, when he brought me back into my right mind. I will not be silent because I can't help myself because God has been too good to me. Hallelujah. Come on, I need some people that's got some I can't help myself. I can't help but singing. I can't help but sing the goodness of God. I can't help but sing how good God is. I can't help but tell people about Jesus. I can't help it. Woo! I can't help but wait to get to church and serve Christ. Guys, if you'll come. I'm on, I'm on time, y'all. I'm three minutes early.
You need to tell God's story. You need to tell your story. I read of a missionary named John G. Patton. He was a missionary to New Guinea. He went into a very remote area. Matter of fact, he went into the islands where there were all these natives. These guys, all these natives were, uh, what do they call them, people that eat people? Cannibals. That's got to be God to do that. And he took his family, his wife and his family, into this area. And for a year, he taught Jesus to them. And the natives became so angry that they decided they were going to take the whole family out one night. And one night, they looked out the window, and all of the native warriors were surrounded by his outside of his living quarters that he had there. And they were standing there waiting and just waiting. And he knew that this was the end, so he went in and began to write in his journal all about this would be his last day. He knew that his family was gone. He knew that the Lord brought them here, and he wasn't sure what would happen. He prayed that hopefully they would spare the children and that they wouldn't cannibalize them, that they would. He thought for sure he was going to die. And hour after hour went by, and all of those natives stood outside of his house, and all of a sudden they left. He's like, thank you, Jesus. It's a miracle. They came to destroy us. And, uh, and then a couple years later, they began to win the whole native tribe. And they, and they won the chief. They won the whole tribe. And the chief was converted. And they became good friends. Matter of fact, him and the chief would go into other parts of the islands and he would be an interpreter while he would preach the gospel. And so what happened was, as he asked the chief that night, he said, that night that you came to kill us, the chief said, yep, we came to take you all out. He said, well, why did you stand there and wait? He said, because you had those 500 warriors that were dressed in those white suits with swords standing all around your hut and I have no idea where they came from. I've never seen them before. And there was no way we were going to attack you with all of those 500 soldiers dressed in those white suits and a sword outside of your living quarters. Hey, I don't know if you believe it or not, but I'm here to tell you that whatever those natives saw, it, it scared them to death. I'm here to tell you that's a God story. That's a story that can be told by God. That is a God story. We all have God stories. We all have God stories. This house has God stories. You have God stories. You share Jesus because you share God's story, and then you share these stories. Stand with me. What is the story? You share the story. The story is Jesus Christ crucified, put on the cross for our sins. The question that you're being asked tonight, living on mission, are you sharing Jesus regularly? All you have to do is share God's story, share your story, and share the story. That's how you share Jesus. That's how you just be salt and light. You just be salt and light. You just be salt and light. I want to be salt and light. I may not be the best at it. Look, I, you know, but I'm going to stay close to the rock and let the water flow. I'm not going to let soil contaminate my salt. 
And the reason why some of you struggle in your Christian life, you come in here, the water, the washing of the Word, washes your salt and cleans it, then you go back out and you lay on the streets of this world and are trampled under by men. And you, your salt becomes contaminated and you have no influence in those whom you are around. It's because you don't live the Christian life outside of the church house. <laughs> uh, it's another message for another day. Billy Graham, he was traveling, and when he began to do evangelistic work, he was traveling from small city to small city. He's traveling through a city in North Carolina, and, uh, and it, I believe the place was Gastonia, North Carolina. It was in his book. And he talks about that as he was traveling, he was going through Gastonia, North Carolina. He was on his way to pre from preaching. It was night, and a police officer pulled him over. He was speeding, and the police officer gave him a ticket. Gave Billy Graham a ticket. And, and back in those days, you couldn't mail a ticket in. Back in the 50s or whatever days it was. I didn't live in the 50s. I don't know. Those of you, <laughs> those of you that have, <laughs> let us know how that was. But um, he, he got a ticket. And so he wanted to pay the ticket. So they took him down to the courthouse. He stood before the judge. He got before the judge. And uh, as he stood before the judge... He called up, and they, you're supposed to say your name. He said, what's your name? He told him his, his full name, Billy Graham. And, and uh, he said, what's the charge? The officer said he was speeding, and uh, he has a fine. He wants to pay his fine. And the judge looked at him and said, Brother Graham, I was at your meeting last night. Matter of fact, I became a born-again Christian last night. Me and my whole family became a born-again Christian. And he said, Mr. Graham, he said, I'm a judge he said, I'm obligated to charge you for speeding. And so I charge you and fine you $100. And Billy Graham was like, wow, thanks. I, your family gets saved at my crusade and you charge, you know, give me a ticket. No, he didn't say that. Um, that's what I would say. I'd say, hey, thanks, buddy. Um, so what the judge did was he fined him $100. And then the judge got up, took off his robe, went down to the pay receivables or whoever it was, the clerk, whatever it was. He took out $100, and he paid Billy Graham's fine for him. Isn't that awesome? And this is what he said. He said, I could not relieve you of the judgment of a speeding ticket while I had that robe on because I'm a sitting judge. And I am obligated to uphold the law. He said, but when I took that robe off and I came down to this common ground, I am now your friend. And I can pay that debt for you. Y'all getting it? Jesus left heaven. He left the throne room of God. Men was under judgment. God took off his righteousness and his holy robe, and he laid it there in heaven. And he come down to earth and became a common man. And he paid a debt that we could not pay. On the throne, he's judge. But when he walked the earth, he was our friend. And he paid a debt we couldn't pay. The story of the gospel is the story of the redemption of Jesus Christ.
Now, I'm going to pray, and this is my prayer. I'm going to pray that the Lord will help you to be a better, to share Jesus regularly. Father, I pray that everyone in this room, just bow your head, just close your eyes with me, just come into agreement. I pray that you'll put the spirit of evangelism on everyone in this room. That, Lord, in order for us to spiritually be competent as a church, we need to be sharing Jesus regularly. Not just the message from this pulpit on Sunday, but there should be a message in the courthouse. There should be a message in the business. There should be a message on every job that Jesus saves, that God will bring you through the water. God will bring you through the storm. God will make a path where there's no way. God will bring and deliver you and rescue you out of the most impossible situations. I pray that our testimony becomes our story. That through our testimony that we overcome the enemy, the wicked one, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That we would learn to share Jesus regularly with Him of Him, and to share our story. I declare that 2020 will be a great year of harvest for River Valley Community Church. Not because of the preaching, but because there's a fire being stirred in the midst of its people to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone we come in contact with. They'll be saved and baptized We're going to have prayer meetings where the house is shaken and the whole house is filled with the Spirit of God. All because of a story. We're going to be I can't help myself church. A church that's not afraid to worship and sing and be who we are in Christ. Because we can't help ourselves. Because I once was a drunkard and now I'm set free. I once was a sinner, and the blood of Jesus has cleansed me and made me whole. And I'm going to share his story and my story and God's story. And I pray this prayer on everyone that's here tonight in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, give the Lord a clap offering tonight. Come on, give him some praise. How many want to be used of God? How many going to start sharing Jesus regularly? Come on, share Jesus with somebody tomorrow. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.